Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, it's Scott, and welcome back to another episode of Lip Service. My guest today is a writer, producer, creator, and actor. He is Stevie Van Zandt. Stevie Van Zandt starred in The Sopranos. He's run a record label. He has a very successful solo career. We can't forget playing guitar in Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. And he oversees the Underground Garage Sirius Channel, his own channel on Sirius Radio. So this guy is very, very busy. He's a legend. Excited to have him here from The Sopranos to his solo stuff to Bruce Springsteen. We have a lot to get into and our love for Cheap Trick amongst other things. So I'm excited to get into it, chop it up for an hour with him. So coming up in just a moment, little Stevie Van Zandt. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots' tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out, at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, Stevie. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on. You've been busy, by the way, in lockdown. You've uh, actually accomplished more than anyone I know in the world. You have a memoir coming out. You've got uh, the, the CD and the DVD coming out. There's so much to talk about. I probably could do an hour with you just talking about music and Cheap Trick and all the bands we love alone. <laughs> but uh, tell me about the last <laughs> year and a half and, and all the stuff that you're going on, because you do have a lot to promote coming up, right? Well, yeah, it just so happened. I, I happened to, you know, 2017, 18, 19, probably the three most productive years of my entire life. Um, Incredible. And it, was, and it was just a surprise. You know, I didn't plan on coming back into the business, to be honest. Uh, it happened by just by circumstance. This, this cat said, you know, I got a blues festival coming up, wanted to throw a band together and, 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 and headline one of the nights, you know. And I was like, man. I haven't fronted a band in, you know, 25 years, right. but uh, sound like fun, you know? And so um, 
that's what happened in, in, in the end of 2016. And uh, it was so much fun that we kept it together and decided let's make a record, you know? And, and of course I wasn't ready to write a whole new record. I hadn't written a record for myself literally in 25, 30 years. Yeah. So, so we did an album of songs I've written for other people and we and called soul fire and we got a little tour out of it. And, and, and on, on that tour, man, these new songs started coming to me and suddenly summer sorcery popped out a whole, a whole new album of, of new stuff. So, it was this miraculous and, and a really important reconnection to my own work, which I kind of abandoned for, for literally for 30 years. And there's a lot uh, to talk about. I want to talk about Paul McCartney joining you on stage with the bands. I want to talk about your history and your life story because it's incredible, by the way. But yeah, I mean, let's talk about let's rewind for a little bit. I mean, a lot of the show, we talk about people's journeys and paths in life. And obviously, you've had an incredible one. So taking it back to the beginning, Stevie, if you talk about when you grew up and the first moment you really realized that you wanted to do this, I think I heard this great story about you and Mick Jagger when you saw Mick Jagger and the Stones early on and that feeling that you had. So talk a little bit about, take me back to the beginning, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, I, I just started to learn how to play guitar a little bit from my grandfather um, to teach me this folk song from his uh, hometown in Calabria. And then, and then um, you know, the Big Bang happened, what I call the Big Bang of rock and roll, which at least for my generation, you know, uh, yeah. older, you know, the generation before me uh, calls the Big Bang uh, uh, the same TV show, Ed Sullivan, only uh, 10 years earlier, it was Elvis Presley. But for me, it was the Beatles, February 9th, 1964. You know, I was, uh, whatever, I was 13. And, uh, you know, my entire generation uh, had their minds blown that night, 72 million of us. And, uh, you know, literally there were no bands in America the day before and the day after everybody had a band in the garage. It was simple Amazing. as that. Because nobody had ever seen a band before that, that, that sang and played. It was, it was not a thing that you did. If you went to your high school dance, the band was an instrumental band, you know. And that was just how it was. And uh, suddenly- So were you a Beatles of... or Stones guy, if you had to say? Well, well here, here's the thing. I, 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 I have to connect both of them because here come the Beatles and they reveal this incredible new world to us, you know, and, and, but, but keep in mind, by the time we discovered the Beatles, they're halfway through the career. They'd gotten together in like 57 and were gone in 69. So 64 is like the middle of their career. So they're extremely sophisticated. I mean, the yeah. harmony is perfect. The hair is perfect. The suits, you know, the clothes, you know, they were, they were literally aliens from another planet. And, and, but, but they revealed this new world to us, which was, absolutely life-saving you know definitely so you know we're, we're seeing the beatles who are incredible um and, and again this whole new world is opening up uh, you know that we didn't know existed but they were so good that you didn't look at the beatles and say wow man i i think i could do that you know it was yeah. it was so so sophisticated you know luckily for us four months later the rolling stones come and you know they're kind of more casual they're wearing what they feel like you know, the hair isn't perfect, except for Brian Jones. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have no harmony at all, you know. And, and, and most importantly for me, uh, as I've said a thousand times, um, Mick Jagger was the first guy I'd ever seen in show business who didn't smile. Right. And that sounds like no big deal. Now, it was a big deal to me then because I, and I'd never seen that before. And, and, and it communicated something entirely different to me. It was like, this isn't show business. This is something else. 
this is a lifestyle. This is this is a you know a mission these cats are on, you know? Yeah. And so so like the way I like to put it is the Beatles revealed this new world to us and the Rolling Stones invited us in. Incredible. And the first time you picked up a guitar was like what mid-60s, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I had the acoustic, you know, uh, with my grandfather. And then um, I got an electric guitar. Uh, uh, first I had an Epiphone and, and then uh, I traded in. It was, I got the first Telecaster in my entire area. Uh, this, this local music guy had gotten a Telecaster in and it couldn't sell it. Nobody wanted it. So I got that and, and I became a Telecaster guy early on. And then uh, later... Uh, uh, you know, Bruce would start playing the Telecaster and I switched to Stratocaster, but uh, um, and at you know, that point, it's almost you were like an outcast, Stevie, if you had long hair and you were in a band, right? And years later, everybody was in bands, but in those days, yeah. nobody was in bands. No, and it was not cool. It was yeah. not cool. I mean, right. you, know, you know, you're watching a Hard Day's Night movie and, you know, all the girls are chasing the Beatles. They weren't chasing you in our local neighborhood, you know. Yeah. They, 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 they still wanted to, you know, they wanted to fuck the sports guys still. You know? right. <laughs> they didn't want to want have anything to do with the rock and roll. You, you were like degenerates. You know, you were like one step above criminals, you know, because, uh, you know, they, it wasn't a business yet. Keep in mind. OK, it, it didn't become a business until the 70s. So, so you know, your parents were like, what what the fuck are you doing? You know, I mean, you, what, are you going to be a Beatle? You're going to be a Rolling Stone, you know, and if you were honest with yourself, you have to say, well, they got a point, you know, but, uh, but fortunately or unfortunately for cats like me, you know, uh, we, we just didn't have any other choice, man. Okay. You know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't hanging in there because I was noble yeah. or you know, courageous. I was just a complete fuck up. I was a misfit. I was a freak. So I didn't have no other place to go, man. I, you know, so I was going to hang in there because that's all I had, you know, was my guitar. So at first it was all about the guitar and then it became about performing a little bit. And then it became about songwriting, you know, and you slowly learn the crafts one at a time. You know, I talk about it in more detail in the book, uh, but you know, the five, the five crafts of rock and roll. And you find, you know, eventually, you know, you, you just keep working on those crafts, man, and hoping that, you know, you can figure it out. You can figure out some kind of common ground between yourself and, and, and your aspirations and, and, and some kind of audience, you know? Yeah. At what point did your parents think that you actually got a job? Because my parents, the running joke with me, my dad was, he always said to me, why don't you get a job? And I said, dad, I play in a band. I have a job. And he's like, you don't have a job. I'm like, I have a job. I'm a drummer. So at what point did your parents finally realize that was actually an <laughs> occupation for you? <laughs> I'm surprised your parents had that. What, what, what year would, would that have been? When you well, started? you know, I started, I started playing in like uh, 85, but it wasn't, I'll tell you, it's funny, Stevie. I didn't actually get to do a huge show up until probably four years ago. My parents got to see me play at the Hollywood Bowl. And I finally said to my dad, I, I think I have a job now. So, you know, maybe <laughs> I didn't have a job for the last 30 years, but Maybe I have one now. So uh... well, I, I'm a little, I'm a little surprised that they still had that attitude, man, because, you know, by, by the mid seventies, parents were buying guitars and drums for their kids for Christmas. You know what I mean? They're like, Hey man, get in on this, you know? Uh, so I'm, I'm surprised you still had that attitude in the eighties, but uh, I guess cause I never really anyway. made, I never made money with it, you know, in the late eighties, even though my band was fairly popular and it wasn't until I made money with it. He actually acknowledged uh -huh. that it was an occupation for me. So well, yeah, for you, in, when, when was that? In my case, uh, it, it was, um, you know what it was? It was it was it was it was Bruce Springsteen being on the cover of Time and Newsweek, you know, right. the same week, which right. was like a very <laughs> weird 
thing yeah. that happened. Um, at that point, you know, my parents were like, wait a minute. <laughs> you mean that that's scraggly kid that comes over here and my mother's always trying to feed him because he's so skinny and, you know, he doesn't say a word. I mean, Bruce was a whole different guy when he was young. Yeah. He's like very grungy. If you picture grunge, you know, the early yeah. grunge guys, you yeah, know, yeah. long hair, just, you know, and didn't say a word. You know, all of a sudden he's on the cover of Time and Newsweek. You know, so my parents were like, "Whoa, maybe maybe there's something to this after all." And um, and then soon after that, well, not soon after that, but we, we didn't really have a hit. We didn't really make a living, you know, until until we had the, the you know the fifth album, man, which yeah. is you know a long time. And uh, it's you know, incredible. You know, I don't think a lot of people know that about Bruce's career, right? It wasn't really till your fifth album until there was a hit, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, people thought Born and Run was a hit, but it wasn't, you know? Mm. Uh, I mean, it was a signature song, certainly. Great, great, great record. But it wasn't a hit. And, and that was the third album. And then the fourth album uh, didn't get any airplay at all, Darkest on the Edge of Town. So and then I started producing the records, you know, co-producing with Bruce and, and, and John. And, uh, and the first thing I did, I produced was Hungry Heart, which we had the first hit. But even on the river which was a hit album, you know, in those days, a hit album was 3 million, man. That was like, you yeah. know, the most you could ever sell, man. We, you know, we, <laughs> at that point we, we, we jumped to, to selling out arenas. So that's it. As far as I'm concerned, and now, you know, you have made it, you know, but that was one hit single and, and, and a fifth album, you know, now and if you sell 30,000, you, you, you're, you're lucky, right? It's, it's like, well, now, now it's a whole different, different world now. Right. Different world, Definitely. You know? But, but I, I, you know, I, I thought I thought three million was the most you could ever sell, and then the album after that did twenty million. So you know, you, you know, you, you never you never know. But 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 um, but that was the beginning. That was that was the first time we kind of relaxed, and uh, you know, uh, that was that, that was that first hit was it was a big big deal. You know? It's interesting enough. You actually, if you rewind a second, you actually quit music in like '71, right? Because at a certain point, you just mm -hmm. gave up and. It's interesting how you got back into it and you started working with Bruce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talk about all that stuff in the book, but, but basically, I, 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 um, I really felt we missed it. We missed the boat, man. You know, I felt yeah. like the Renaissance was over, and you know, all the great stuff had been written, and, and you know, <laughs> right. uh, you know, I wasn't that far wrong, by the way. But, but you know, it turns out there was some things to be to be done yet. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I just, I kind of, I just kind of quit at one point and worked construction for two years and then, uh, and broke my finger, uh, still bent, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, on, on play, playing foot, uh, flag football on the weekends and, uh, and to exercise my finger, I got into a band playing piano just to exercise the finger, you know, and that one thing led to another and I got back into it, but, but, um, but yeah, I kind of, I kind of quit and came back in, you know. And you, you have this incredible career, incredible solo career, Sun City, all the, you know, all the years playing with Bruce. And at a certain point, you know, it's, it's like you, you get the Sopranos gig. So I want to talk about from that point up until now and how you view the business. And if we talk about the state of rock and roll, and I know you always reference the fact that rock and roll kind of died when Kurt Cobain died. I mean, do you think that rock will kind of find its way to us again? I know you refer to it as like a cult in a certain sense, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no I, I clocked the rock era, you know, not not that rock died, but but yeah. the rock era is is over. I mean, for sure, this is not an opinion. Uh, you know, I clock it from from like a Rolling Stone '65 to Kurt Cobain's death, exactly 30 years, really, you know. And you know, that was a wonderful 30 year run, you know. 
And I, I you know, tell you the truth, I, like I feel like, yeah, we're back to being a cult again, like we were yeah. in 1954. And I think that's probably where we belong, to be honest, you know. But, but you know, um, we would just love it to be a cult of 10 million people, not uh, 100,000. Well, all. yeah, you, you hope it's a healthy enough cult to, you know, to support a living, but it's, it's, it's getting harder and harder, man. I mean, we, yeah. you know, we have introduced over 1,000 new bands on my radio show. Okay. I mean, three or four, five have broken through, you know, yeah. the hives, the white stripes, you know, you know, and a couple more. I mean, I mean, you know, it's almost the infrastructure is just not there anymore to break through. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's the last biggest, what's the last big rock band, you know? Greta Van Fleet, I guess, but they're pretty derivative of Zeppelin. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't. Are they doing arenas? I don't think they, so. They, they're actually they were doing two nights in Madison Square Garden before the pandemic. So, which is admirable wow. for a rock band. But and I love the Struts. I'm I'm sure you're a fan of the Struts. I would imagine, you know, yeah, given, yeah, yeah, given the yeah. radio show. But yeah, I mean, let's yeah. talk about that for a minute. I mean, your radio show is exposing all this great rock, which a lot of people really don't get to hear. So, are, are there bands now that still inspire you that you hear and you're like? You know what? This could this could possibly break through the mainstream. Well, I don't think of it that way as much as we have created an alternative universe at this point. You know, let's face it. Um, yeah. We we you know we have this coolest song in the world this week every week, and most of the time it's new bands. I mean, once in a while it's a new it's a new album from Cheap Trick or Joan Jett or yeah. Stones or Paul McCartney. You know, and we're the only ones playing that, by the way. Also, but but you know so so. But but there's a, there's a lot of new bands, and look, all we judge it by is if the record is great, uh, we'll play it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. You don't have to have a big manager, a big record company, a big lawyer. You make a great record, we're gonna play it. You know, um, and then all you can do is hope that maybe somebody hears it and God forbid buys it. You know, but but certainly uh, a lot of what ha what happens. The best we can hope for these days is a promoter hears it. And maybe puts the band on a festival, you know, something like yeah. that. Because you know? the live thing is still the, the, the really the only game in town, you know, you know, where you can make a little money. And and, uh, um, and of course, those of us who are lucky enough to get through the door before the door slams shut, you know, we're always going to be big from now on. You know, yeah. we're always going to continue to be the biggest things. We're not going to be replaced, unfortunately. You know, so you're going to still see the Stones are going to still be big. Yeah. McCartney and you two and, and East Street and Roses, whoever, maybe. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. there's a there's a dozen or so of us who are lucky yeah. enough to have gotten through that door. And and that's going to that's going to remain the same. But no, we're not ever going to see a rock era again, I don't think, um, because it, we're too it's um, it's a complicated question. I know. But, but the I think the the media is too diversified now. Um, and so it's, it settles down to the lowest common denominator, which is always going to be the pop world, you know? Yeah. And that's fine. It's always going to be a pop world. But when it's this, you know, um, diversified, uh, you know, the pop world tends to tends to rule, you know, um, and you're not going to you're not going to have a, a single consciousness uh, focused on, on a rock band anymore because it's just not. It's just not part of the, uh, you know, it's it, it's too difficult. It's too difficult for for radio, you know, to actually have a have a decision making process. You know, yeah. what I mean, once, yeah. once once everything became a, a corporate a corporate entity, it's all about keeping that audience there, no matter how low the audience is. Keep it there, man. Keep that. Keep the fiscal quarters consistent. You know, that's all that matters <laughs> right. in this world. Right, you right. know. 
And to do that, you got to be lowest common denominator, yeah. which means pop music and which means interchangeable pop music. Okay. Yeah. Whoever, whoever is the hot thing this week, get me one just like that for next week, you know, yeah. and, that, and that's that world, you know, and I'm not putting it down. It, it is what it is, you know, but, you know, to, in order to have a rock consciousness, you got to have taste. Definitely. You got to make decisions. You know, you got to say this is <laughs> yeah. cool and that isn't cool. Or yeah. you know, I'm staking my career on this record. You know, yeah. I'm playing this record. You know, you know, and people ain't gonna do that anymore. You know, very very few people. So so it, it's a whole different kind of way of thinking, which is why I started my radio show in the first place. I said I gotta remind people what great radio sounds like. Okay, you Definitely. know, you know, when you have a relationship with your station, you have a relationship with your DJs. You know, and you want them to turn you on to new things. I mean, I mean, classic radio, which is most of my most of my affiliates, you know, uh, whatever amount of affiliates. I have 100 affiliates around around the world, uh, plus uh, 80 in this country, I think it is. Yeah. You know, most of those, they don't play new records. They won't yeah. do it. You know? So they rely on me to kind of play the new Stones record that they would like to play, you know, yeah. with a new Paul McCartney record or, or you know. Uh, the new cheap or trick. should we talk about the new cheap trick record, which is great, by the way? Yeah, you know what I mean. And and they could have continued to make great records, you know, yeah. all along. They Definitely. never stopped, you no. Know? But this radio just stopped playing them. Yeah. You know? It's why I don't. There's no reason why, you know. And and I and I've I've I've, I've done speeches at at these program directors conventions talking about this stuff. Man. Yeah. I'm like, what's the matter with you guys? You know, you know, you, you, you'll play a cheap trick song every two hours, you know, one of the, one of the classics, right. but if you play something new and you won't play it, it's the same voice, you know, same okay. cat singing and he's still phenomenal by the way. They've never lost he, it. They're incredible. Not, still, not, not a step, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's wrong with playing that? I mean, you think the audience is going to go, Oh my God. And then change the channel. God forbid. <laughs> I mean, it's so weird the way that people think, you know? Yeah. It's interesting because there was a period of time in the eighties where I think music was, homogenize all the hair bands obviously it's an era that i very much had lived through and was a part of but now it's back to that right and so it's funny when you look back in your career and your success of things like sun city you were introducing hip-hop back then into the culture and you were sort of getting flack for it right and it's actually yeah. one of the predominant forces right now in music so but back then you were doing it you were way ahead of your time with that yeah, they, they, people were making fun of me and, and, and saying, like, what are you doing? Because the industry was hoping it would go away, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was just like this annoyance, you know, like, what, right. what, are, these, what are these kids in the ghetto think they're right. doing, you know? Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're big time, you know what I mean? We, we, don't, we, don't want, we don't have time for that ghetto shit, you know? Right. And, and, I, and, I, and I was, like, seeing it from a historical point of view because I witnessed, you know, the fact that white artists, were expected to express themselves. We were expected to be artists in the true sense of the word. Yeah. You, know, you know, in that Renaissance period, you know, the most, uh, the, the greatest art was also the most commercial, yeah. you know? So, so, you know, it wasn't a contradiction back then. You know, you had to, you, you know, you, you had to work uh, on your craft to be as good an artist as you could be and express yourself as personally as you could. And that's what was hip. That's what was commercial, right? Definitely. But only in the white world, not in the black world. For some reason, they were suppressed and suppressed and suppressed. Marvin Gaye had a big fight with Barry Gordy. Yeah. And 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 um, I think he held that record up for like a year. Or I don't know how long. And finally, you know, uh, Marvin Gaye was like, hey, man, you know, this has got to come out. And Barry Gordy said to him, well, either you're going to learn something about this or I'm going to learn something about this, you know? Right, right. And Barry Gordy learned, you know, because yeah. that, was, that was what's going on, which was one of the most amazing, important records ever. 
And then Stevie Wonder picked up on it also and said to Barry Gordy, I'm sorry, man, I'm doing what I want from now on, which was another radical thing. And, and Stevie had to threaten to leave the label to, to get that. Yeah. So I'm witnessing that. And now here comes these black rappers and they're expressing themselves just naturally. That's like, that's like, you know, in the DNA of that hybrid of that art form, you know, of yeah. that form of the art form. You Almost know? spoken word in a sense, right? When it first came out. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and I was hip to Gil Scott Heron, you know, and I was hip to the last poets, you know, yeah. so I could see, I knew where it was coming from. Plus I was into all the Jamaican music, you know, yeah. big youth and those toasters. Yeah. But I knew where that was all coming from. But most importantly, it was the first time black artists were expressing themselves, period. You know, yeah. it was that simple. And I'm like, man, I got to encourage this. This is, this is, this is a good thing. This is a healthy thing, you know, and, and, and um, you know, so we 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 put we put uh we put him on a on a on a Sun City record, you know, and people were saying you're putting Melly Mel next to Miles Davis and David Ruffin and Jackson Brown and Bob Dylan. I said, yes, yes, I am. That's that's how important I feel these cats are, you know. Meanwhile, you were way ahead of your time with that. If you look at what's yeah, happening, yeah, as it turns out, as it turns out, yeah, yeah. So you have this incredible career, and at a certain point, I, we can't uh, actually do this podcast without talking about your time in The Sopranos. David Chase calls you. You'd never acted before. And all of a sudden, he's like, I think he saw you at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, maybe inducting the Rascals, right? And, uh, and he was like, hey, I'd love you to be part of this show. And as having never acted before, how did you feel when you get this call? I mean, did you, was that something that you wanted to do? Was that something that you were not oh. into at the time? Oh, no, I, I turned him down, you know, <laughs> I was like, you know, geez, I'm flattered, man, but uh, I, hate to, I hate to say this, but I'm not an actor, you know, right. and he's like, yes, you are, man, yes, you are, you know, I know you, I know what I, you know, I know what I'm talking about, I, I've been in this business a long time, and he says, you know, you're an actor, but you just don't know it yet, so, so come on down, and let's give it a shot, you know, and I had nothing else to do, because at that point, I had been, you know, I don't want to overdramatize it. It's, you know, I wasn't exactly blackballed in the industry, but people were like looking at me like, man, he's trouble, you know, because Sun City was such a success. You know, when you, you know. Well, you were feed, taking down governments, right? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you know, you, you, you feed people in Africa, that's all right, but you, right. you start knocking down governments and people right. like, uh, maybe we're next, you know. Right, right, uh, right. So all of a sudden I had, you know, I was negotiating with four different labels when Sun City came out. And when Sun City was a hit, they all went away, they, you know. So so I had nothing to do. I was just walking my dog, man. And, and so I said, you know, you know what, maybe, you know, let me, let me try and be an actor. Let me, let me see what that's about, you know. Uh, I, I knew, you know, I was really with the whole milieu, you know, the, that whole world of gangsters. I, I just, it was kind of a, I don't know if you call it a hobby or what, but I, I'd read every book. I'd seen every movie. Yeah. And, you know, I'm living in New Jersey, you know, you were around it, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, you Your know, friends are in construction. It's a whole thing, you know. Construction where I work, <laughs> number one, but also the clubs, the club scene, you know, whether they were the real thing or whether they were wannabes didn't matter because they're equally scary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of familiar with the whole world anyway. Uh, and I, I just felt like if I can look like, if I can look in the mirror and see the guy, then I could be the guy. And I could be that guy, you know, and that's what I did. You know, I just I just kind of created my created my look and, and uh, you know, and then I, I walked out of that and I wrote a biography about, you know, the cat, you know, uh, his basic, uh, you know, who he was and, and, and his story, backstory. Yes, yeah, so I talked about that because it's fascinating when you got the part, 
you actually wrote an autobiography about your character, right? Mm. So, which yeah. is, I don't think a lot of actors plotted out that way. So, I don't know. I'm not sure how uncommon it is, but, 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 you know, I had, a, I had, a, I had to, um, you know, create a story for this guy, you know? Yeah. And then, and then, uh, and, and, I, it was twice as important because I wasn't in, you know, my character was not in the pilot. Right. You know, David Chase, you know, wrote that part for me. He wanted me in it, you know, because at a certain point I said, you know, David, I feel guilty taking an actor's job, man. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm just some hippie guitar player off the street. <laughs> you know, these cats have been going to acting school, you know, they're yeah. doing off Broadway, you know, they're working their whole lives. I'm like, you know, I, I don't feel that good about this. He says, listen, all right. You're not going to take anybody's part because I'm going to write you a part. Yeah. Writing you, I'm writing you. A, you know, it doesn't exist. So I felt good about that, and and, um, and you know, and, and and so as part of my character, as I'm writing my own biography, you know, in my head, I'm like, this guy's fearless. Yeah. So you know, when I come out of that trailer looking like that cat, you know, the hair and the, yeah. and the clothes, you know, I was fearless. I mean. You know, Stevie Van Zandt couldn't have went on that soundstage with those actors. I'll tell you that. You know what yeah. I mean? But Silvio Dante, he could, he could, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and it turned out to be the greatest acting school in the world. I mean, you know, I've talked about this a thousand times, but, you know, you do a scene with Jimmy Gandolfini and you walk away a better actor. That's as simple as that. You know? Was it intimidating acting opposite him as your first foray into acting? It well, must have been I mean. in a way. You, you, you can't, you can't. You, you couldn't, you know, I mean, because, because I was completely absorbed by the character, you know, I was completely in character and he doesn't get intimidated. You know, he does no, there's no intimidation in his world, you know, yeah. um, because, you know, and, and if that slipped a little bit, then I would have been scared to death. <laughs> you know, now, now you now right. you can't do anything. Now yeah. you can't act. You can't do anything. So I, I had to be, I had to treat it like, uh, these are my peers. These are my pe people I grew up with. I understand this world, you know, and, uh, and, and you know, it, it's just a, it's just another day, you know, in, in life of, of, of you know, and I, I had to treat it. I had to treat it like 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 normal, like it was a normal, you know, it was a no my normal life or else I could not have done it. So it's interesting. Some actors go home at night. They put the character away. They have breakfast with their wife. They're a different person. Did you break character, or did you yeah. remain in character when you were shooting? No, no, I, I, I'm I'm not a method guy. I realized, you know, some some of the some of the actors were. Jim, Jimmy was, you know, very. He method. was living it. Yeah, uh, so some cats are like that, and you know, yeah. and of course, you got to respect that. And, and uh, but no, I, I'm I'm just not that way. I I I, I turn it on and off. Um, and it really it really kind of helped me when I when I went to Lilyhammer because. You know, not only was I starring in Lilyhammer, but I was also one of the producers, one of the writers. I directed the final episode. You know, and and so I was like, right before action, you know, before the director says action, you know, I'm looking at the lighting, I'm looking at everybody's wardrobe. You know, I'm I'm still rewriting the script. You know, yeah. until the last minute. You know, and then it's like action, and boom. You're now that guy in that moment, you know. Yeah. And, and and by being so distracted by everything like that, it actually made me a better actor. You know, mm. in, in, in Lilyhammer, I, I think I took my acting to another level because I just didn't have time to think about it. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I had to be in that moment. Boom. You know, uh, and 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 then you know, okay, cut, and now you and now you go back to like being a producer or a writer or whatever. You know, uh, so it was really it was really a helpful evolution, really for me. 
uh, doing Lilyhammer in, in Norway. Yeah. yeah and, and but before that, did you realize that, you know, The Sopranos was going to kind of change popular culture? It was going to be the not, biggest not, show not, ever? Like, at what no, point not, did you realize no. that? Not when we did the pilot. I mean, they, 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 they picked up the pilot the very last minute. I mean, the 11th hour of the 11th hour. Really? I, was okay. H- I happened to be at an HBO function the night before. You know, there was like a 12 month, uh, you know, whatever, you know, waiting, you know, uh, yeah. decision period, you know. And I happened to be at an HBO thing the night before, and I'm talking to the executives saying, You picking the show up or what? And they were still not sure. Right, right. right. Literally the night before, you know, because they were looking for a partner. It was a big, it was a big investment for HBO at the time. They were, mm. they were just little cable thing, yeah. you know, with a, with a football show and a couple right. of movies, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know, maybe hope, a couple hope, of comedy hope, shows. Yeah, hoping to get subscriptions for people wanting to see some tits and ass, basically, right. you know, <laughs> you know, and and uh, you know, here we come. You know, I, I forget what the first, uh, the first season cost. It, it must have been, you know you know whatever whatever it was you know 30 million dollars or something which you know was a big deal for them a big big investment yeah they're trying to find a partner in europe until the last minute you know and then uh they finally went with it and they took a chance and have you heard anything about the new film uh that david chase is doing it's obviously yeah 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 i've I've seen i've seen it about 10 times um you know it's great and and uh, it got it got moved again i think till september now yeah so you've actually Uh, seen it already Oh yeah, I've seen it in every 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 edit, every every stage of it. You know, uh, David's one of my best friends. So so you know. So did they approach great. you to be part of it, or because it was a story no, before? No, no, no. It's like it's like thirty years before us. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's, it's like you know, twenty, thirty years before us. So uh, it's like Ray Liotta's in it, I believe, right? And obviously James's son is in it. Yeah, he's great. You know, yeah. he's really great play, playing <laughs> playing his father. Yeah, and what do you, what are your thoughts on the film when you see it now? Is it nostalgic for you? Do you feel like it's a great? Uh... Yeah, yeah, it's it's wonderful. You know, it's this wonderful thing that got created. I mean, we didn't, you know, uh, I don't know. Two, it only took two or three weeks on the air. Now, I'm walking down the street. Now, at that point, uh, what's that like? 1990 or something? Yeah. Uh, right. Well, yeah, no, it feels no, about no, 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 2000. Right. Because, yeah, we filmed it like 96, 97. It goes on the air like 98. Oh, it feels like it was like 20 years ago, but I, 25 yeah, so, so years that, ago, at maybe. That point, I'm like, it was, it, yeah, I think it was closer to, to like 2000. Because anyway, at that point, I'm like, a, you know, I've been like a rock star or whatever for like yeah. 25 years, right? Right. Right. I'm walking down the street. Within two weeks of this being on the air, <laughs> nobody, everybody's talking about Sopranos. They stopped yeah. me on the street. Sopranos, 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 you know? I'm like, man, this thing must be catching on because, you know, nobody's talking about, you know, E Street Band, nobody's yeah. talking about, you know, it's like, you know, all of a sudden right. it's like Sopranos, you know, and I'm pretty unrecognizable in it too. I mean, you know, right. uh, my, my mother had to rewind the tape. I gave her a tape. She had to rewind the tape because she recognized my voice. She didn't, she didn't even recognize <laughs> me. So I was like, man, how are people even recognizing me, number one? But man, this some this show. There must be something to this show because uh, literally within two or three weeks, man, it was just a hit, you know. And it literally changed television the way we watch television forever. Yeah, incredible, yeah. incredible. Yeah, so really let's do. talk I about the last few years because it's been a very productive time for you, obviously. So you've had a lot of projects. Mac at a Mecca is, I believe, the latest project, and your book. 
So I want to talk about, you know, the Soulfly records and everything you've done the last few years. So take me back up to that point. I know you had a 15 piece band, you were touring. We can't not talk about this, not talk about the Paul McCartney story because it's one of my favorite stories. And, and to get to play with Paul McCartney is probably the pinnacle of anyone's career. So talk to me about that, that night when he joined your band because I know he's played with Bruce with you before, but it's such an yeah. incredible story, yeah. right? Yes, it is. It's one of it's literally, uh, you know, one of the high points of my life. Uh, yeah, no exaggeration. Um, I had it's a Soul Fire tour. Um, you know, I'm not sure if we had already done a couple of legs of it, but but uh, we're about to start uh, the English leg. And on the night before, I'm, I'm fulfilling one of my other dreams of my life, which is filming with Scorsese doing a little cameo in The Irishman, you know? This is incredible, yeah. I do a little cameo, little cameo appearance in the, in the Irishman. And um, so I come into the sound check late from the flight, and there's only like five minutes left in the sound check, and it's a big a big audience. I'm one of our bigger audiences at the Roundhouse in London, you know, the, the best club. And uh, it was like five minutes left in, in the sound check, and I get a phone call, Paul McCartney might be coming. I'm like, oh, man, you know, we got to prepare something just in case, you know. Right. Uh, so really quick, I, I threw together a little Richard arrangement of an early Beatles song. I saw her standing there, you know, because I, I knew Paul was a little Richard fan because without Paul McCartney and the Beatles, I never would have heard of little Richard, you know. Yeah. Uh, so we did that. I mean, literally like one time through, you know, and sure enough, he, he shows up and uh, I'm like, man, I'm so honored that you're here, you know, Um you just relax tonight, man. Don't feel any obligation to come on stage. You know, you're here with Nancy, you know, wonderful wife. And I said, sit with my wife, Maureen, just enjoy the show. Don't, don't feel like any kind of, you know, responsibility or you know, obligation to come up. So I thought that was that. And we're taking a bow for the encore. And my roadie runs up and says, Paul's coming on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Luckily, oh, you worked God. up this tune. Yes, and I hope we remembered it, right? Because <laughs> right. He, he didn't he didn't rehearse it with us. Right, I mean, that, right. You know, that, that takes some balls, man. Yeah, you know, of course, of I mean, course. You know, the fact that he was trusting me and trusting my band to do the right thing was, you know, and on he came, man. And, you know, it was just like... And you do know, you get nervous straight, playing with Paul McCartney? I would imagine you get nervous, uh, right? Again, it's the same thing. It's the same thing as as, as acting with the Sopranos, you know? Yeah. you gotta You got to switch off your whole fact that that was the first album you ever bought when you were 13 years old <laughs> you know and they're, and they're your, your heroes and in my you know in my case it's my religion yeah. so they're, they're my gods okay yeah. <laughs> so god just walked on stage with you yeah. you know <laughs> and you can't be thinking that you cannot yeah. be thinking that you gotta be thinking like here's a friend of mine coming on stage to, you know yeah he's a, it's, he's just, a, it's just paul my friend from down the street yeah, another, another musician, <laughs> you know yeah we're playing a song that no that. one knows and but that's the kind of thing, you know, that's, that's the kind of balls he has. And, 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 you know, he's a real musician, man. He, you know, yeah. on stage like that, you know. But, you know, I mean, coming on stage with the E Street Band was thrilling, you know, at Hyde Park. He invited me and Bruce on stage with him at Madison Square Garden, and that was thrilling. But coming on my stage, endorsing my music and endorsing Incredible. me, forget it, you know. Yeah. That was you know, one of the great moments of my whole life. And so, so that put me in a Beatle mood, you know, obviously. And, and we're doing England. And we're doing it on a bus. And um, about a week before we're playing Liverpool, which always puts you in a Beatle mood anyway. Right. I said, I, I said I, you know, I remember reading about the Beatles when they started. The Cavern Club. They, they, at the Cavern Club. They did yeah. this crazy thing called lunchtime sets. Yeah. Know, which which <laughs> sounds crazy, but, yeah. you know, lunchtime. 
you know, the local shopkeepers and, you know, secretaries would bring their lunch to the cavern yeah. and the Beatles would play for half an hour. <laughs> and that was By the way, I've never a, been there. So could you describe the cavern? It's oh, like holds what, like 500 oh, people. It's obviously like a basement type. I've seen pictures. Me, uh, but Yeah. Let, let me, uh, let me see. Let me back up just one minute. The first time I get to England, I run to Liverpool. I run to the address of the cavern. I get there and it's a parking lot. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and I asked somebody, come, I said, uh, do I have the right address for the cabin? They're like, oh, yeah, mate, we paved over that. You know? So uh, there had been some bad blood okay. <laughs> going on between Liverpool and the Beatles there for a minute. We've also painted over then, Abbey Road. If you go there, too, we've painted over that, too. <laughs> right. So, I, I, so luckily, you know, uh, cooler heads prevailed and they yeah. eventually they rebuilt it supposedly right near where it was even with the same bricks supposedly uh, but when they rebuilt it um, they rebuilt the original which is like a, a tunnel it's like a, a very small i don't know you could maybe jam uh, maybe 250 300 people in there okay hmm. about 300 people in a, in a tunnel and it, it's the one film that everyone has ever seen from yeah. the cavern is only one uh, it's like an archway over the yeah. over the stage right and uh, it's a Beatles playing some other guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the only footage that I've ever seen. Uh, so when they rebuilt it, they, they, they you know, rebuilt that pretty much pretty close to how it was. So it felt and, authentic to you? You felt like it was yeah, it, a great yes, recreation? It really does feel authentic. Yeah. But then they also built a second room, a second bigger room, five, six hundred people. And they assumed that's where I wanted to play because that's where that's where Paul McCartney played when he played yeah. the cavern. And, I mean, most bands played, you know, I was like, no, man, I got to have the arches. You know, I got to have those arches <laughs> yeah. that I saw growing up, you know. Yeah. So we barely fit the rhythm section on that stage. I mean, it's small. It's small <laughs> stage. And then there's like a, a wall, like a partition and a hallway, like going to the bathrooms. So we put the horns and the girls in the hallway. You can see it in the DVD. Yeah. And, and, and so we couldn't see them during the whole set. We, we, you know, we had to hope, hope we started and ended the song somewhat together, but, uh, right. you know, we literally couldn't, couldn't see them at all, you know? So, you know, it was just a fun, a fun thing, you know? And that's, what's on Macca to Mecca, right? So let's talk about that's that. Macca to Mecca. Yeah. Macca yeah. is McCartney's nickname. Yeah. So, so it starts off with Macca in London and goes to Mecca because rock and roll being my religion, Liverpool is my Mecca. So it's Mac and a Mecca. And, and uh, so it's a it, CD it, and a DVD if you buy it, right? It's just a tribute. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's part of the Soul Fire box of that tour. Yeah. Um, but if you already have the Soul Fire box, you can also get it separately as a DVD and a CD and all, all formats, you know, all my stuff's in all formats. But uh, yeah, that was, that was the 2017, 18 tour, you know. And, and uh, a highlight of that, you know, it's just fun. You know, last time I played Beatles songs was in my high school band. You know what I mean? Right, you know, right, right. My, my life had taken more of a, you know, soul music kind of yeah. route, you know, or, or, you know and, and so, you know, you never, you never have an excuse to play Beatles songs. So Definitely. it was so much fun to, to really analyze those songs, you know what I mean? Pull them apart. You know, you think you know them from hearing them a hundred times. Yeah. You don't, you don't really know a song until you, till you play it. You know what I mean? Agreed, agreed. I always thought when I was younger, Ringo Starr wasn't a great drummer, but I come to later find out how brilliant he was because his parts were so incredible. I mean, the most tasty drum fills ever. Right. But I just I guess when I was younger, I didn't get my head around how great a drummer he was, because at that point, it was all about how many drums you had and the bigger kits. Right. And and now, right. you know, right. later in life, I'm like, wow, 
one of the best drummers ever and so incredible. True. True. Yeah, that's how everybody everybody eventually goes through that sort of evolution. You know, you're looking for the flashier guys at yeah, first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you realize, wait a minute, it's really all about the songs. Yeah, it's really no all question. about the band. You know, so, you know, who, who's who's playing the right parts for that song? Definitely, what, definitely. Great. <laughs> so at yeah. a certain point during the pandemic, we, we can't forget that you also wrote a book, right? No, it's not coming until... Um, End of September. Oh, end of September. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's coming yeah, yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you can pre-order now, but but it's not coming out till like, you know, end of September. So it's, it's we got we got a ways before we really get into that kind of promotion. But um and I and I heard two documentaries that are being made about you too. Is that true? Oh, yeah, it is uh somebody <laughs> working on a documentary and um and there was gonna be um um uh, and also a focused documentary on these last three years, which is also gonna be coming uh next year. So that that's that's later, you know. I'm not, I don't have anything to do with either one of them, you know. So, so, um, so somebody's somebody's doing two different things. Yeah, one one more focused on the music, okay. and one on my whole life, I guess. You know. But needless to say, you've been pretty busy during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I was busy before the book, you know. I mean, because because you know, my, just the record company alone, you know, uh, we must have 12, 15 artists signed now, and and I check out every single demo, every song, man. You know, because I want to keep those standards very high. Yeah, you know, I, I would put our record company's uh, output against anybody in the world. I mean, literally. And we're a small company, but we have we have consistent greatness. You know, every single every single record we put out uh, is really really high quality. You know, and I want to make sure we maintain that. So I pay attention to that stuff, and that that's a full time job in itself. Yeah. Then we're always look listening to the music to play on the radio show. You know, and then uh, the music history curriculum, which which is, you know, already online, which really came in handy for this for the quarantine, you know, uh, all these kids being home, you know, the teachers, you know, it's free, it's free for teachers. And there's 250 lessons online for music history. Amazing. So, 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 you know, uh, the teachers were using it and, and really it came in very, very handy for them. Uh, and, the, and all my DJs on both of my stations, you know, I, I have two radio formats yeah uh, the underground garage rock rock uh, format uh, on serious channel 21 on serious i also have outlaw country uh on, on channel 60 on serious in addition to my weekly syndicated show which is a whole a whole different thing um so well let's talk about that for a minute because there's so many great artists TV that actually don't see the light of day i mean doing research for this you know i found out actually i didn't even know that you worked with two artists who i loved i mean the archangels debut which was a great record Charlie Sexton, who plays with Bob Dylan now, and, and Michael Monroe's record, um, Not Faking It, which is also a great record. And so there are so many artists out there that, you know, don't see the light of day the way they should. Uh, for me, you know, The Archangels is one of the better records that came out during that time period. I mean, are there artists out there that you still feel like really should be breaking bigger than they are, that they're either on your label or on your radio show? And we touch base on a few of them, but, but who do you feel like isn't getting its due, you know, which, which artists are not getting their due right now? Well, we got, I mean, we literally, you know, um, there's a group called Soraya, there's Kurt Baker combo, uh, Chris Rogers in the Dirty Gems, uh, Ryan Hamilton in the Harlequin Ghosts, um, Death by Unga Bunga, <laughs> um, you know, uh, Paul, Mara, Paul Myra Delran, uh, um, The Empty Hearts, Prima Donna, you know, um, is the empty hearts Clem Burke's band? Is that that band? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, great. Yeah, uh, and what what do you sort of attribute that to in this culture? Is it more like the ADD of the society where people just you know everyone's swiping and listening to songs for ten seconds and 
You know, why is it that you think that people aren't taking to so much great music that's still being made? You can't, it's, 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 you don't have that focus, the marketing, you know, the, the marketing cannot be as focused as it used to be. This, yeah. this many, you know, diverse ways of hearing things and, mm. and seeing things, you know? Um, and again, everybody's distracted by a million different things. Yeah. You know, when we, when we were growing up, man, you know, there was bought a record. You know, three TV channels. You know, right. Right. and uh, you know, and and we and, and and we had seven or eight rock and roll TV shows on every week. I mean, yeah. Can you imagine that? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and basically, uh, two 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 radio stations on AM, and then when it became FM, really one main one in every city. You know, so everybody was, it was a, a mass shared experience, you know, mm, culture, yeah, we were yeah. very much a monoculture, you know, Definitely. Um, and all the rock bands went through the same changes year by year. I, you know, I talked about this in a book, you know, 64 was all British invasion and 65 became folk rock, you know, and 66 was like, uh, whatever, blues rock. And 67 was psychedelic. Yeah. 68 yeah. was country rock. You know, 69 was southern rock. You know, and, and everybody kind of went from trend to trend. And then you would learn. It's like, a, you know, going to school. Of course. You, know, you pick up, you pick up this, you pick up that. Some people would stay in that, you know, some people would stay in country rock forever, you know, or you stay in psychedelic forever, You're, you know, and some would just pick up a little this, a little bit of that. And, you know, that was how it was until the 70s. At which point it started to fragment, you know, completely fragmented from singer songwriters over here to heavy metal over there. You know, yeah. all of a sudden it wasn't it wasn't the same trend every year anymore. There was ten different, you know, subgenres. Yeah, yeah, know? Jackson Brown and Zeppelin. It was, you know, two That's different right. directions. Yeah. That's right. And, and from there it just kept fragmenting, and then and then the media started fragmenting also. You know, yeah. so so it, it's a lot harder now to get people's attention. And to get a lot of people's attention on the same thing, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like I say, it happens in the pop world, you know, um, it happens actually in the hip hop world, which is hip hop has become really part of the pop world, you know, no question, like, like yeah. before, you know, so, so, you know, it can happen, but rock traditional rock, you know, um, just not part of the mainstream anymore. And it's a lot harder to, uh, to get people's attention, you know, it's a shame because it's still, you know, still uh, amazing bands are making amazing music still, and uh, they're doing it out of pure passion. Yeah, because no logical reason to do it, you know. There's no reward at the end of the rainbow anymore. <laughs> There's no money in it, that's for sure. Oh no, yeah. no, I mean it's yeah. impossible, you know. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I've been very conscious of trying to rebuild an infrastructure now. I spent the last 20 years trying to do it. That's what the radio show is all about. That's what my education thing's all about. I've been trying to talk the hard rock into becoming a circuit for bands for literally 20 years. They've been my, they've been my uh, first um, sponsor on a radio show. So, because there's uh, what, like 50 hard rocks, right? So essentially you're talking about... Like 150. But, but 50 maybe that have stages, right? Or for that band's that, performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's yeah, right. So, and, and, and I'm like, let's hook them up, man. Right, let's, exactly. Let's yeah. circuit, you know? Yeah. And put in a PA system, put in a monitor system, you know, maybe even amps and drums. And just say, you know, have the bands just go from, from hard rock to hard rock, you know. With the back line uh, I mean, already set up. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? I've been trying to get them to do that now for literally 20 years. And, mm. you know. Uh, it's almost like you have to recreate an eco culture for yes. rock and roll for an order yes. for it to 
be reinvigorated, right? Because without that, it's yeah, not just, going just, to just to survive. Just right. to survive, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not even to like flourish, but just to so people can make a living doing this. Yeah. Because something special about rock, man. You know, it, you know, it's not just because what I know best. It, it communicates, you know, different things. You know, a band communicates community. It's just by its nature. You well, know? it's a brotherhood, right? Yes, yes. It's not just me, me, me. You know, yeah. it's, it's us. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is a different communication. And and, uh, and there's nothing like it, man. There's nothing yeah. like it. You know, and, and, you know, I learned everything I know from rock and roll. And, and uh, you know, I learned about Eastern philosophy, you know, from George Harrison. You know, I learned about poetry from Bob Dylan, you know, <laughs> whatever. You know, you can go, you know, through, through, through every, 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 you know, everything I know. And, uh, you know, I, I think in the end, we want to keep it alive, you know, and I think there's something valuable about it still, you know, Definitely. it's Definitely. not some old irrelevant kind of, you know, uh, art form. It's, it's still, it's still relevant. It's just never going to be a mainstream again. I don't think, you know, are there certain pop artists that you really connect with? Cause I know rock and roll is obviously one of a common grounds with us, but you know, I've heard that you like like Billie Eilish and Bruno Mars. So other artists yeah. like that, that do yeah. speak to in a way. I, I, I do. I, I really like Bruno Mars. I think, you know, I think he, you know, he jumped into that gap, you know, that Prince gap, you know, which, which you know, I think was really, really useful. You know, he's a terrific performer and, uh, and uh, I, I just, I just really like, like him. I, I think Billy Eilish is also very interesting. Um, I hear a lot of Lana Del Mar in her, you know, uh, I think, uh, um, you know, there's, 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 there's several, people that are out there doing interesting things. Yeah. And Kendrick Lamar, you know, um, I don't, you know, I don't follow it as closely as I probably should. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm busy, like in my own genre, you know what I mean? I yeah. gotta you're also to discovering it. artists. You're, you're doing a lot of things. Yeah. I got to fit in, you know, I, I, I got to listen to the ones that fit into my own yeah. format. You got a day <laughs> job. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not paying too much attention to that world, but I want to, I'm always trying to learn about it, you know, and, um, you know, eventually maybe we'll jump into it, you know, with the record company, maybe an off an offshoot of the record company, a subsidiary, you know, get into more, try try something in the pop world and see what happens, you know, because, uh, you know, that's where, that's where the action is, you know, so yeah, yeah. No we don't you to be afraid of it, you know, but, um, but, you know, you excited to, I was going to say, you excited to hit the road for 2022, potentially either with your solo stuff or with Bruce, I don't know what you think of the new record, Bruce's new record, but there's that yeah, to talk no, about we, too. We, uh, you know, we, 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 I had stopped, I, I cut my tour off so we could get that record done, figuring we were going to tour summer of 20. Yeah. And um, we literally, you know, I thought we, you know, we put aside a couple of months to do it and we did it in four days, which, you know, we just, Incredible. I didn't, we didn't plan on that. <laughs> right. uh, but it's a terrific record and, yeah. and it, it needs to be played live. I mean, it really does. So hopefully we'll do that. We'll see, you know, things straighten out here a little bit. Uh, it's a little hard to plan this year, obviously. Yeah. So up and down, you know, but. Um, Are you feeling optimistic for next year? Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. am. I am. I mean, you know, I, I'm okay. I'm, I'm personally, I mean, we got, we got, I got to figure out something to do. Yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, I've been on the road, you know, pretty much nonstop 17, 18, 19. So it wasn't a bad break for me. You know what I mean? I, I, was, I was ready to be home for a minute. You know, uh, and, and uh, but yeah, we got to get back out because rock and roll really needs that live audience. It's not like any other genre that way. You know, we really, uh, 
it's not about videos for us. It's yeah. not about, you know, even the records, you know, are kind of a, you know, the, the record is the script for the yeah, show. Right, you know? Exactly. But it's not the show. The show is the show, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we got to be live. We got to do it live. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that happens. So you will know, you go yeah. out there with your own band now and pick up some of the dates, you think, in 2022? Or will you go back out with Bruce? So you don't know I, yet, I, I think. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what Bruce wants to do. You know, I, I'm gonna, I always give him first priority. Yeah. So, um, I think um, I think he, you know, that might happen. That might happen. If not, we'll see. If we can do Disciples of Soul. It's a very expensive proposition to get on the road. Right. We got we got to find a, a patron of the arts <laughs> to, right. uh, to, to to do Disciples shows. Yeah. But um, is it hard know, to adjust sometimes? Because obviously, you know, you're drawing great numbers with your own, you know, with your own band. But let's say it's a thousand, two thousand with Bruce. It's whatever it may be, right? Stadiums. Is that a hard adjustment for you to make sometimes? Just mindset wise well, I, I actually didn't make the adjustment because we took out an arena show playing clubs i mean you can move my <laughs> disciple show to an arena to a stadium yeah. nothing would have changed <laughs> right. you know i mean i don't know how else to do it with a 15 piece band you know, <laughs> right. I mean, you, you know not a, not big. a cheap band to take on the road either no no it was it was <laughs> quite a thing yeah uh you know so, I, you know, well, that's the challenge, but um, it'll be that or, or, you know, I got five scripts. I like, you know, I like to do any one of them. I'd like to do it, get back on TV. I wouldn't mind continuing Lilyhammer, to be honest. I mean, yeah. I love doing that show. And we only did 24 shows, you know, because, you know, we were the first show on Netflix. So I, yeah. I was able to see like history change twice, you know, first yeah, yeah. at HBO. And then, you know, with ne you know, Netflix being the first show. You know, people didn't really know what Netflix was, man, when we started. So you remember so, you had to take the DVD and send it back in the envelope and people forget that's what Netflix <laughs> was. Like it's become this monster streaming service. But initially, if you if people can remember, you know, you got the DVD from them, you had to return it to them, which is such a weird concept now when you think about it. But that's how you it know? started. Yeah. yeah and, and so when I started my first promo tour, people were like I'm like Netflix is now creating original content, and they were like, "Why? <laughs> Why would they want to do that?" You know? Just send the DVDs back; it's fine. Right? <laughs> well, oh, Mecca to Mecca is uh, is the new record, so definitely everyone go out buy it. CD, DVD. I mean, I could talk to you for hours, Stevie, because there's so much to talk about. And by the way, I'd love to have you back talking about the, whether it's the you know the book when it comes out in September, yeah. which everyone we'll should go that. out and pre-order, buy the book. So much great stuff that you're creating. So honored to have you here. It's been great. And, uh, and maybe I'll actually get to see you in person next time we do this. Yes, that'd be great. That'd be great, man. Oh, so. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it, Stevie. All right, man. We'll, we'll see, see you, soon. you soon. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Incredible. So prolific. Great guest. I appreciate him coming on. The Sopranos. Solo stuff. Bruce Springsteen, a documentary, a DVD, a book, a memoir coming out soon. What else is next? Once again, if you like the show, please make sure you rate the show, review the show. If you want to give it five stars on iTunes, that's great. It's very helpful. Tell a couple friends about the show. And uh, that's it. Signing off from New York City, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Hey, how'd it do, y'all? I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and Western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. 
The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.